At the end of 2023, Mike and I were surprised to discover that Rolling Stone published an update to their 2020 ranking of the greatest albums of all time. As we talked about in a previous episode, Bob Marley and the Wailers album Exodus from 1977 has been shifted from the number 71 spot to the number 48 spot. So we thought we would re-release that episode today with the new and correct number of 48. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again here. We're glad you found us at the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we are discussing album number 71 on Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 greatest albums list. This is Exodus by Bob Marley and the Wailers. If you've been listening to our podcast for a little while, you may remember uh, tonight's guest from when we reviewed Bob Marley's Legend, the best of Bob Marley and the Wailers. That was originally reviewed uh, all the way back in April of 2020. And uh, at that time, anyway, it was ranked number 46 on the 2012 list as we were journeying through. And uh, my friend Bram Woolley joined us. Uh, Bram... uh, we introduced him as a, a Penn State student, and he was somewhat early, early in his journey at that point, uh, a few years down the road here now. And uh, Bram, you were kind enough to say yes when we asked you if you'd like to join us for another Bob Marley album. So thanks so much for being here. What's changed in your life over the last two years? <laughs> well, I'm a lot closer to graduation. Um, yep. And again, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for inviting me to, to join you. Um, I have one more semester to go. I've completed one of my majors and one of my minors. So I'm kind of just finishing up a few last things and then I, I graduate. So that's, that's kind of a lot, but yeah, exciting other times. than that, just the, some summer research work and travel. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. And I think it's important to add here, Bram, of course, thanks for, for coming back. Um, that episode, that review that we did, both the original and then when we re-released it for the new list, when Rolling Stone put out the new list, it is still our most listened to uh, episode of all time. It's yeah. constantly uh, one of our top few. It could be it could because it's Marley, uh, but I'd like to think it's because it's you, Bram. Because uh, <laughs> you were on the episode that it, it's so I think so it's popular. definitely a combination of a very popular album and then doing a bit of research for this album. I was surprised by... There's definitely sort of a lack of already existing, like, uh, sort of Bob Marley album reviews and, okay. and explorations. So I think it's kind of filled a, filled a niche in a way, you know, oh, interesting. at least yeah. on podcast platforms. Yeah, well, that I, I wouldn't have thought that because he's such a popular artist, uh, but, but I think you're right. But anyways, people are, have enjoyed listening to that. At least in the, at least in this format where we where we kind of approach it on like an album level, I think that's right. Right. Really yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. point. So before we get started here and talking about 
uh, the music and and how it's affected us and some of your insight as well bram i, I want to just go through some general details for this album details 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 Exodus was released June 3rd, 1977 on Island Records. This was uh, Bob Marley and the Wailers' 8th studio album. Actually, their 10th album, but there's a... uh, Ben won't like this. There's a a live album and a compilation album in that span as well. But this is the uh, (laughs) 8th studio album. Uh, All tracks written by Bob Marley. I think a couple co-credits, but it's it's all Bob Marley on this one. This album charted number 8 in the UK and number 20 in the US. Sales to date, hard to to track over the different countries, but definitely over a million. Uh, Lower than I would have expected, but definitely over a million copies. Um, A few notes. uh, They took a bit of a different approach for this album. Unlike previous albums, uh, Exodus thematically moves away from cryptic storytelling. Um, instead, this uh, revolves around themes of change, religious politics, and sexuality. Uh, the album, and I didn't really pick up on this first time listening to it, but it's very clear, the album split into two halves. The first half revolves around religious politics, and the second half is focused on themes of uh, making love and keeping faith. So so two distinct sides there. A little background to the recording, on, and we might talk about this as well, as we get into it, on the 3rd of December, 1976, so about six months before this came out, an assassination attempt was made on on Bob Marley um, at his home. Uh, he was uh, grazed by a bullet on his chest and his arm was hit. Uh, he survived. Uh, his wife was also shot and she survived as well. Fall, not too long after that, uh, he left Jamaica uh, and went, uh, it says he was exiled, So, but he left to London, he went to London and that's where they recorded this this album in London, England. This album, Exodus, and we talked about Legend, which is an extremely successful album, uh, millions and millions of copies. Uh, this album, Exodus, though, has more tracks featured on that greatest hits than any other Bob Marley and the Wailers records. And uh, last note I have here, Bob Marley conceived uh, Exodus, the title, as the album title uh, before even writing the song. So he kind of had the vision before they even started, perhaps related to his journey at the time as well. It's interesting to, I guess, note that the the assassination attempt was based around his support for one of the, the political candidates in Jamaica at the time and kind of how um, this album then fit into that, that broader context of, of the political context of Jamaica. We talked a little bit during our uh, review of Legends that... Um, legend kind of softens his prophetic voice and i i found myself feeling like there was a bit more energy in his words in album in sort of a studio album format here especially like you said mike with the the two sides Mm -hmm. um but it's almost like you can hear what he's trying to communicate a little bit better when it's not like <laughs> redone for the modern palette kind of thing, <laughs> like there's a bit more of an edge to this one, and uh, like I, there's I really definitely a concept that the that the yes. album gets across. It's trying that, to take uh, shape, the compilation yeah. sort of sort of lost in terms of the ordering. One really neat uh, uh, kind of uh, historic note: uh, Time Magazine named this the best album of the 20th century. So, oh. 100 years, 
this this was it. This is uh, Time wow, Magazine's that's pretty, choice. That's for pretty incredible, actually. The, the best album. So um, it's hmm. it, it only winds up here on the Rolling Stone list, but um, if you had a different subscription, you might believe this is the number one album. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I that so Ben, do we have to do another list? We have another podcast. <laughs> I don't know that that's a list or if it was just like a, it was a, in an issue from 1999. So I'm guessing it was one of those retrospective things like all the best of the last oh. hundred years. Best movie, so best I, song, best yeah, album. Right, right, right. Yeah. Best yeah. political scandal. Right. <laughs> I would definitely say that like if I had to introduce someone to Bob Marley, this might be one of my first choices because it does. I don't think it's necessarily it combines really well like what I see is like the two sides of Bob Marley, which is kind of what we talked about, which is like the the really political side and then the side that's more talking about like everyday yeah. life and like what like what is and could be good about life and then what needs to be resisted sort of. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think so this one kind of combines that in like a really direct way by having those two halves of the album. And it's a pretty good example of like, I think the way he writes and the way he uh, layers instrumentation how he puts together the whalers and how he directs them. So yeah, yeah. This is another one of those uh, long players um, in terms of chart success. Uh, I think I think Wikipedia says it was on the UK charts for fifty six consecutive weeks. So wow, um, you know, sometimes these these uh, these great albums just kind of hang out at the top <laughs> and just keep getting purchased for a while. Graham, we talked with you last time that you're you're a fairly big. Um, reggae fan in general that you you listen to a lot of different reggae uh i think for those who are kind of into that and and understand the history of it um this is maybe second or third album after uh peter tosh left the whalers which is a pretty big deal so we see this the the evolution of the band and the success, yeah. the success, even though they had the departure and, and another member, but I'm, I'm blanking on the name. A couple left, I think, in 74, uh, as I was reading. And so this is kind of kind of a big deal that this album uh, is so successful as well. And it's it's interesting to hear kind of like this is, I think, the first time that the band really has like their kind of signature sound, because before they had a lot more of a. I, I would say it was definitely an earlier reggae sound that they were kind of building off of what already existed. And there there were a lot of um, interesting kind of experimental songs that they did. Like some were a lot more um, gospel influenced. I think they actually did a couple of uh, like direct gospel covers. Right. And they did some stuff that was a little bit more in like the rock steady tradition. But then this was kind of where I think they started to nail down like their specific sound. couple more things before we really get into the music here um we love talking about the album artwork and uh like i always say please if you pause the podcast or open up another window and look at it but it doesn't get much simpler than this (laughs) album cover um it's uh i don't even know what color that is like a gold tan one color solid color very small at the top in black all caps letters bob marley and the whalers top center quite small right in the middle uh exodus in in quite an interesting style of font i don't know what that i mean it's obviously 
not a font. I think it's supposed to it's supposed to mimic um, some of the calligraphy that's used in Amharic, which is the the language which is spoken in Ethiopia. Well, okay. Well, Ethiopia. Oh. Um, so that kind of it, ties back to the the Rastafarian connection. I think. Interesting. It almost has a Hebrew look to me. Well, ben, that's what uh, I thought. Yeah. Well, Amharic Amharic is another Semitic language. That right. Share a lot okay. of commonality. Okay. There you go. Yeah. That that makes sense because I was kind of getting oh it kind of looks like like the X looks a bit like an Aleph uh, you know okay cool yeah that makes total sense thanks thanks for pointing that out so I mean oh I forgot you're both familiar with with really. <laughs> <laughs> little it's been a while but a little bit <laughs> um, uh, yeah I like I mean usually we could talk about it for a while but there's really not much to say <laughs> it's very similar to an album that we're going to be talking about soon uh neil young's harvest is coming up uh very similar color of the album and uh the title right there in the middle i want to move into to some of our reflections and interactions with the music uh and we can talk still about some of the songs and some of the so these cool stories i hadn't listened to this album and ben i don't think you had you listened to this album no start to finish before no Okay, so, so Bram, I, we know that you know you're a big fan. You've probably listened yeah. to Mar- Marley's catalog. We know you've listened to this. Uh, so my question to you, because I'm not going to ask you if you listen to it, we know the answer. My question to you is, um, do you remember when you listened to this album first? Uh, did you go through? Did did you just kind of grab them as you got into it? Did you start with Legend, or did you go through them chronologically? Do you have any recollection of of hearing this one for the first time? I've only started listening to albums as albums within like the last year or so. So like okay. before that, it was really me interacting a lot more on like a track by track basis. Um, but like pretty much I've definitely, that was actually one of the first albums I listened to all the way was Exodus with something I would like okay. put on in the background. It's probably one of the only albums. Um, but like the way I see a lot of these songs are still as like individual tracks kind of. Okay. Almost, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, like, and I think a lot of people consume music like that. Do you mean like you know, putting going on to? I'm using as an example, put going on to like yeah. Spotify and just listening to Marley. Yeah, I would say so, but also like on the ra- like the first song I ever heard was that like on the radio that really got me interested in in music on my own was One Love. So like right. that kind of that was definitely, but it was always like I don't know. I, I feel like the songs off of Exodus are so um, imprinted in our you know cultural memory that like they they get played a lot on the radio so oh, yeah. like when you finally listen to the album like you've already heard a lot of these as, as individual tracks so you kind of can like focus more on how they fit together if that makes yeah. sense i don't think there's uh uh on the radio any vacation you know caribbean vacation ad or company that does you know last minute deals that doesn't use one love in the background <laughs> uh. yeah which is super super ironic because like um, I think One Love really kind of encapsulates how people somehow like really willfully misunderstand a lot of Bob's catalog, you know, uh-huh. in terms of like, in terms <laughs> yeah. of his like viewpoint and approach, because like, Softening he, he got the refrain, you know, which is very like, you know, love, hope, change, whatever. And then you've got the, like most of the lyrics, um, the stanzas, which are very like militant, honestly. Um, and so I think that's kind of interesting to, to see. <laughs> I brought something because uh, Ooh, I brought the. Fr- I'm. I don't. I don't think I own Legend, so I. I don't own any. I own only one reggae album, 
So this is the first and apparently only reggae album I bought. Okay, so this is Finley Quay, and I think when I bought it, I didn't even realize it was a reggae album. He's he's uh, from the UK. This came out in '97, and I had heard it. Uh, the big hit was Sunday Shining, and I think there's interpolations of of Marley stuff on that track and throughout the album. He's from the UK, and I had heard the song, and then we went on a band trip in '98. And we were on the bus or in a store. Uh, these tracks were all over the radio. So when I was there, I bought it. This is actually a, a UK version. Not that it makes a big difference. And I didn't realize till years later that it was actually reggae music. It's that got that British kind of feel to it as well. But I was hearing stuff like I and I. Like even on this, he uses a lot of that. And my whole life, even listening to Marley, I always thought they were saying Iron Eye, like I-R-O-N-E-Y-E. And I always wondered, what is that? What is that a, a religious thing? Is that a, a, a Rasta thing, a reggae thing? But he's saying I and I. Do you know what that is? Like, is that is that like two different, yeah. like his his two different persons or what is that? So I, Iaric is um, like what what the the name for um like rastafarian's dialect sort of okay um and so like the term the term i and i it's sort of it sort of has like a layered meaning because it's it's referring to it, it's sort of like it's sort of like saying that god is in you but okay. like every it, it's it's very much about like oneness um actually i'm gonna read off of another wikipedia page uh sure in the words of rastafari scholar ee e. cashmore I and I is an expression to totalize the concept of oneness. I and I as being the oneness of two persons. So God is within all of us and we're all and we are one people in fact. I and I means that God is within all men. So it's like it's kind of talking about both uh it's like a universalism, like a humanist universalism and then kind of like a religious one as well. Right. Uh and it's, I it's has a lot of meaning built in. I, I love it and I, I love uh that that's such a big obviously this is my obvious hat on but uh, such a big part of of bob marley's uh, music and lyric writing and, and his expression of, of who he is and the message the different messages that he's getting across it's all bound together especially in so much things to say he repeats it a few times i'm i think i'm not sure if he does any other tracks on the album but that one for sure in uh, the last the last verse he repeats it several times so I kept thinking about it wondering what that was so thank you for <laughs> for looking into that and sharing that with us uh, because that's a, an extra level of I guess enjoyment but just intrigue of the, that there's a, another level of language here that certainly I'm not familiar and probably most westerners would not be familiar uh, well lots of people um, not be familiar with there's a lot of like stuff encoded I feel like mm -hmm. in Bob Marley's music where like different people listening will get different things out of it you know yeah. um, and I think that's part of why it's been so popular over time I agree kind of cross those cross those boundaries and it's amazing uh, amidst that with all that you know some very specific language uh, and speaking about specific situations in Jamaica and even in in other parts of his community or the greater community that it's so accessible uh, and so yeah. many people you know just love it and and I think we talked about before people not really maybe understanding the message and focusing on other parts of of the message or the groove or whatever but um, well I mean I feel like it is very common to like 
and I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to listen to music for the instrumentation rather sure. than the lyrics. Um, yeah. But but it is it is still really interesting because you'll be like you'll li- you'll be listening to a really fun like a Bob Marley song with a really fun beat, and then you start listening to the lyrics and you realize that it's about like uh it's like a like a guerrilla uh, warfare like you know <laughs> it's talking about like an ambush like a roadblock you know. Yeah. Right. So wh- while we're on that on that thread. Uh, I yeah. noticed interesting, and, and maybe you can help again in, in that same song. So much things to say, you know. I, hey, I'll, but I'll never forget. No way they crucified Jesus Christ. And when I looked at the lyrics, uh, it is spelled with two S's. Um, and is that is that a just a dialect pronunciation thing, or is that a different a different way that they write about that historical figure? Are you familiar I with that? I feel like all? it might be a a dialect thing. Okay, but I do I do pick up on that as well when I listen. Like when you, when we're listening to One Love and he talks about the Holy Armageddon, is that like an aluminium thing? Yeah, or? that extra that extra <laughs> syllable is really fun. Um, yeah, so I just found that like like very interesting. Uh, and some pronunciations are like just they just tuck in, but these are so kind of very very intentional um and i I like it i feel like he's wrapping around the beat because like on both of those tracks i think when when he does that thing with the extra syllable he's hitting a beat and so he like wraps it around yep no i like that i i agree with that frame for someone who's spent a bit more time with this album can you talk a little bit about the side a side b concept and does it does it feel appropriate to you that they're categorized in that way um do you find yourself gravitating to one more than the other? Uh, how, how do you feel about the sort of division of the album that way? I mean, I, d- I definitely like Marley's political stuff a little bit more, which I think I, I said a lot on the last uh, episode I was featured on. But mm-hmm. I think both sides work together really well, especially because I wouldn't say that all I wouldn't say that the songs off of Exodus that are political are necessarily his most political. Like right. I would, I would, I actually kind of push back against that, which I think I've heard people say that this is where he got really political first. But um, like just looking through some of his his past discography, um, there's a lot of songs off of like Catch a Fire, such as Concrete Jungle, 400 Years, and Slave Driver, which are pretty political. And then in Natty Dread, which was 1974, you have Rebel Music and Revolution. Those tracks are also very political. And then Crazy Bald Head War and uh, Rat Race in 1976 off of Rastaman Vibration. Like, I feel like those were all pretty intensely political and sometimes use yeah. language that he... Like, this one is a lot more symbolic in a way. Um, so I think yeah. it ties together pretty well with, like, the, the other side. And maybe that, that historic context that Mike mentioned of, like, being in exile himself might... Yes. make people assume this is a more loaded album perhaps than <laughs> than what came before definitely yeah and it ties to, like at the very end he ties it together really well with with one love which kind of has like the the refrain and the the melody of one of his more upbeat sort of uh i guess like slice of life songs but then okay. it it's like lyrical content is a lot more sort of revolutionary i would say i don't know if you would disagree with that but i've i've always found that to i think be like the the most interesting track for me off of the the album i like that I, as in one love like do you do you have any thoughts as to it's it's content mike and i have mentioned many times before that we're not lyrics first people and so even oh, as you were saying just like a little bit before yeah. um 
how the verses are a little bit heavier than the chorus, I had to like think back. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. I, you know, I never really considered yeah. that so much anymore. Because he, because I he's like, is, is there any hope? Yeah. Is there any hope for the sinner? Yeah. Or no, right. the hopeless sinner who has saved all man, who has hurt all mankind in order to save his own beliefs. You know, and then he talks about yeah. Armageddon and like, yeah. there's a lot of really strong, I feel like, spiritual language mm-hmm. there. Yeah, let, let's get together to fight this holy Armageddon so when the man comes, there will be no mm-hmm. doom. The lyric sheet I'm looking at, man is capitalized, so that would mm-hmm. be some sort of return, some sort of judgment. There ain't no hiding place from the father of creation. Yeah, like it's, uh, personally, I, I do, I just get so caught up, and, and I agree with you, there's nothing wrong with it, but I get so caught up in the groove. Yeah. <laughs> well, the groove is very good, and I think yeah. that's what makes it work so well, is because it's like, there's something for everybody, and like... At least for me, getting into it, I was like, oh, wow, it just, it sounds good. And then I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of lyrical. I basically was introduced to a lot of uh, history of, of like the global South and the developing world, uh, where I don't really like that term, but the the global South and the global periphery through, um, through Bob Marley, you know? Wow. I want to, but I owe it to, to spend more time with the lyrics. Like I, Mm -hmm. Ben said, you know, we're not, we admit we're not lyrics first people, but there are certain albums and songs, and this is one of them where I'm reading them now and going, yeah, I want to come back to this, and I want to read through them as I listen and, and you know do some research. There's a lot of very specific people mentioned, like in So Much Things to Say, mentioning specific people, specific incidents uh, that I'd like to look up just for my own edification to understand the context a little better. Uh, but it's so good, like you don't have to. The music's so good. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing that's really, I think, great about this podcast is that both of you know a lot more about like the the instrumentation and the technicalities of music production than I do, I, I would say, um, and just kind of the, the structure of albums since you've been doing this for a lot longer. Um, and so like I do, at least with Bob Marley, I tend to be drawn to the lyrics, but then it's nice yeah. to have someone to kind of bounce off of for the for the more technical stuff related to the production. We fake it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, on the last the, the last time with Legend, uh, you started you started talking a lot about about different uh, different like musical terms, and I, I was getting a little bit lost. I was like, "Wow, I'm glad somebody knew this." <laughs> I would just go on a rant about Rastafarianism. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, and, and we'd like to have guests who can kind of fill in the gaps yeah. in our in our Compliment knowledge too a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about the Whalers a little bit uh, because. One thing I kept thinking about is I would listen to a track over and over and and the components of it. You talked, Bram, earlier about this really being something that a lot of people categorize as the Whalers really coming into their signature sound. And I really feel like every member of the group has such a unique voice, uh, especially in this album. There are so many songs where it's it like uh, waiting in vain, you know, the two different keyboard parts kind of playing playing back and forth you have the kind of organ vamp and then you have the lead uh, going on um it's such a signature sound so we personally and i think a lot of people tend to think of bob marley marley music right that's a bob song you know but it's bob marley and the whalers and they play such an important part in this sound um from you know, the rhythm section to the keys I mentioned, the vocalists, the background vocalists, such a huge part. And and I just really found myself getting into that side of it as well. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about the Whalers is they were kind of like a 
like even more so than a lot of bands where a lot of bands have have produced musicians who have gone on to even I would say even greater things but like you know equally great things on their own right or in other groups um I feel like the whalers really they were almost like a community because they were so large and they had so many people who like join and then would go do something else and mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of like movement and in addition to that you had Bob Marley's family which was very large um he had a lot of kids and most of them have gone into music so like I think the amount of like the movement that the whalers started was a lot larger than um might even be the case for other bands right but you mentioned the organs and the i would really be interested in learning more about uh the choice of of organ as an instrument on this because it's really good but it's it's kind of like it comes out of nowhere you know you're listening and you're like wow that's a that's an organ yeah like right yeah stage, oh yeah uh, and like um i the song that that really jumped out to me was uh the heathen and they've got this like booming like this very crunchy distorted bass sound on the organ it's very it's ahead of its time like a lot of the sounds i think are very you know reggae was becoming more and more popular and was penetrating a north a north american audience so that in itself was was new but there's a lot of sounds here to me that sound ahead of ahead of its time um and and are really really neat what one of the interesting things about i think reggae is that like people don't it is a really unique sound but it, it's kind of also almost more of a crossroads than it is like a genre of its own well no it is a genre of its own but like it it draws so much from other things like in the early days i mean i mentioned this earlier but in the early days the whalers did like a lot of they were definitely reggae songs but they were also definitely like gospel songs right. which with a like gospel style voice pieces and gospel uh, i think there were some with like organs pretty early on but like they did that and then i think there's also a part on the heathen where they have like a guitar solo that's very kind of hendrixy almost mm-hmm. uh so there was definitely a lot of kind of back and forth between different genres within reggae and like sometimes you'll hear a song and you're like wow that's really bluesy and then you hear another song and you're like wow that's kind of like rock with that guitar solo you know yeah but always, it seems intentional to set a particular tone. I think that definitely, like the sort of religious on the upbeat songs. There's, there's that like kind of haunting organ on the more prophetic, darker songs. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right, Ben. It's the like the second side, which is a little lighter and more around the kind of love and and faith and stuff. Um, you get that higher. You know, higher on the, on the, especially on the, you know, on the right hand with the piano a lot higher up. The one love, very high up, tinkly kind of piano, or the organ or guitar. Whereas you're right with the political, little, little more heavier thematically. You get some of those heavier sounds. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. There, there were also a few songs that really had like a super deep sort of dub reggae sound, like yeah. um, which is a, a subgenre of reggae that's very focused on the instrumentation, kind of like creating this soundscape that has a lot of like volume and depth and stuff. And there was, um, I can't remember what song it was specifically. Oh, X, like the Exodus track itself mm-hmm. had that kind of depth going with the, the percussion, especially. Yeah. Uh, like there were a lot of different forms of percussion and they were all at different distances in like the sound space, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Mike, did uh, did you ever get into Elizabeth Mitchell? She's a, a children's folk song person, and she's got some 
wonderful covers, including oh. one of Three Little Birds. And so when I hear this song, I think uh. about like very, very young, my very, very young children who are much, much older now and uh, <laughs> a different kind of era of music instead of listening to mostly Disney and musical soundtracks uh, <laughs> when we were the ones picking the, the sweet music to put on for them. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I almost I almost forgot about I didn't write anything down, but uh, Three Little Birds is kind of a kind of an important song in our house. Um, I don't want to get too personal because it's not it's not my story to tell. But uh, my wife Nora, who was on this show, had, had gone through something difficult, and Three Little Birds was kind of a kind of a refrain that really helped her along, and and we kind of gravitated to it as well. Um, and you'll see around our house a few different there's a few pictures scattered around with three birds. Um, and she actually has a tattoo on her, on her back. Oh, that's of, right. Of the three yeah. birds. Um, her her sister. They were talking one night, and and they had both separately had a dream about three birds, and so they got the matching tattoos. So so, <laughs> uh, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing's gonna be all right. I mean, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, but but that's kind of been a refrain here, even in different situations. Every little thing's going to be all right. Um, taking it out of context, but but the the music um, and the songs are so powerful that they can do that. You yeah. can you can use them for other purposes. Um, that's a really that's a good one. No, I, I agree, and I think with Three Little Birds, it's like he's he really captures kind of like I don't know like a, a good motivation to want to keep going on. You know, yeah, just like the really little things, like remembering a you know sunny days or something like that. Yeah. Like definitely he has he's a lot of songs that are about relationships and like human social interactions and kind of you know the back and forth there i think sometimes when he just has a song about like a tiny little thing you know it's just like really being mindful of his surroundings that's kind of cool it's like kind of a song that just says you know breathe and uh so yeah. much of pop music is not that it's uh getting you amped up for something <laughs> right yes yeah yeah settle down take it in yeah i like that yep. i mean we don't have to go track by track i mean jamming like <laughs> there's such huge songs on this album it's sometimes it's unbelievable it's yeah. it's like when we listen to um ben one of the first albums we reviews are uh, uh hendrix experience are your experience and it's like how can you get away with having this many massive hits on one album? Like, how is this not a, a, a greatest hits album? And, and Exodus feels very similar, like, like just huge, massive hits uh, all stacked together on this album. I mean, Jammin yeah. has been, there's certain songs, like I, like I said, I haven't listened to, um, to Marley albums, like straight through, but there's songs I don't remember a time in my life not knowing about them like one love yeah. jamming like right. those have just always for me anyways have always just kind of been part of the zeitgeist of of the music that i know or that's been there all the time well and this is what i expected to find as we work through this list like albums that i wasn't familiar with that i'd never press play on but lots of familiarity as i'd go right and it seems like it seems like we either get the extreme where we know almost everything or we know almost nothing. <laughs> and uh, this is a kind of a nice, happy middle ground here where like a good portion of them are ones I've heard before, but there's also some, some new surprises. So yeah, I like that. Ben, was it on uh, the miseducation of Lauren Hill? Does she, is that, does she have her cover of turn your lights down low? That might've been like a bonus track on a different release. 
No, I think it's that album. Is it on that album? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that obviously her connection with the with the Marley family being uh, married to Roe Marley for a while? Um, Yeah. So I, I, it's hard not to think about that as well, listening to it, and you know, many people have taken these songs over the years and made them their own. I guess there's like a really big sort of. I mean, I sort of go in this direction anyway. But the really like a really big macro observation is how the whole album's concept is structured around this idea of exodus like going from babylon to to zion sort of right and like on a real macro scale in terms of the rastafarian worldview like babylon would be represented by like the the sort of colonial powers um especially like the united kingdom and the united states increasingly in a lot of reggae songs of that era but like in the in this album's context sort of what he's talking about is his own personal sense of like safety and sort of an ability to like rebuild when he moved to the united kingdom okay which is interesting like he like his personal journey of exodus to escape from persecution in jamaica uh and that's kind of how he presents it in the album is as like he's leaving babylon to go to uh, zion right (laughs) but like on a more macro sense i feel like within the context of this album he's also saying like he did he didn't really make it out you know he's like he made it out of the frying pan into the fire in a way Mm, yeah yeah and so he like finds a sense of community but then the first half of the song is definitely him like still coming to terms with the fact that he is facing the same things you know right and he can't really leave behind what he what he left in jamaica Mm, yeah it's beautiful and 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 inspires hope but it's tough because he does in the first half identify all these issues and identify i mean he does in the second half as well but heavier in the first half identify the wrongs and the issues and the ongoing and then the second half is in the midst of that here's how we can inspire hope and carry on but recognizing that those issues still exist it's a very healthy view uh it's very it's sort of like i feel like my my overall view of marley's message is like there will never not be oppression and persecution like we can't really create a, i think a lot of people think he was utopian but this is my like my personal view is that i think he had a pretty healthy understanding of the fact that humans are pretty flawed in in the right. ways that we construct social systems so i feel like he was his view was sort of like things will always there will always be persecution and oppression and people will always try and exploit other people to some degree but a we can always fight back and we can you know, it's kind of like an eternal struggle. And then also there are always these good things, you know, that balance out or like that sort of console us even when we're, you know, facing troubles. Well, that's a wrap. That just, <laughs> that's a perfect, I love that. It fits really well with him as a person because he was complicated too, right? Uh, a lot of yeah. hope and optimism and kind of messy, rough around the edges. Right. It's wonderful that this kind of echoes that part of who yeah. he was. I, I know it's not on um, the the overall list, but uh, Bob Marley's album from I think it was nineteen yeah nineteen seventy nine uh, Survival is interesting just to see that kind of evolution where I think Survival is sort of all of the emotions from like the tracks like guiltiness and One Love you know like the sort of lyrical content of One Love in in an album form where he's finally he's it's like his full sort of almost like his political manifesto and then he released a bunch of other other albums that were sort of more focused on on the b-side of of exodus like the sort of uh okay slice of life stuff so he started to kind of diversify and i think like made it a little bit more of like an album specific thing but this one really captures like both sides 
I, I want to listen to that uh, survival and I'm a huge uh, flag nerd. I love, I've studied all the national flags of the world. And so the album cover for that one is just all. Oh, it's a really cool. It's just tons of flags. Like it's all flags. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to look into the, what what they mean. And I, I like that album because it's like, because it's a little angrier, like they really get into the beats a lot more. So right. The progression is really on point. And then when Marley gets like kind of, you know, really angry and like on a, on a, you know, like a tangent about something political, like he, he gets really into it and he starts matching the beat. It's just, you know, it's a lot going on. And it's like, no, it's like no end to like the guiltiness type tracks, but just like over like a full, you know, hours length. It's, it's a little bit much, but like, it's good. <laughs> that's the next one I want to, that's the next one I want to listen to for yeah, sure. Yeah, let's check it out. So we like to talk about how it fits into today's context. So the two questions blended into one. Uh, if anything, what has aged well and what hasn't? Bram, why don't you kick us off for that if if you have something for that? I definitely think that the messages that Bob Marley brings are like, especially on Exodus, the way he approaches it, um, it's very applicable to really any time. And regardless of, of one's position, there's there's something in the, the album to be found but especially in terms of like the political side i think i think it still holds true brings true does anything feel sort of dated a lot of bob marley's work is pretty dated to the cold war um and this one th- so like i would say Exodus a little bit political closer. thing that you speak yeah. to yeah yes there's i can't remember the the song or the album but he talks about like the space race and uh and on this one i would say that like if you know the context it sort of fits pretty specifically into into like jamaican politics and like decolonialization and stuff at the time uh but i mean i think like what he's talking about is pretty pretty relevant and even when he's talking about other things in other albums like he's talking a little bit more about the reality of life in a zone of civil war, for example, all of that is still pretty true and accurate. But in terms of talking about, you know, colonialism and an empire and stuff like that, I think he's he's still on point. I've been surprised this week in listening to this more frequently. Reggae music sounds like reggae music. Even, even reggae music being made today sounds fairly similar to this. So while it, it I think the the way that it feels dated to me is historically where bob marley fits into time uh not because the music sounds necessarily like it was done in old equipment or something like that it's just i know that he has passed away right so so it's really hard to disconnect that from um the knowledge that this is from a few generations uh, back and uh so that makes it a weird thing to kind of age Ben, I, I I I agree with you on that, and I was really thinking a lot about that. I wouldn't. I am w- very ignorant on reggae in general. I would be hesitant to say, you know, that reggae hasn't evolved or changed. No, um, no, no. Yeah, and I, I'm I not saying you say were saying either. that, but but yeah. but but I would say like to me like this reggae, like reggae is reggae in in, in my listening, and what I mean by that is it doesn't seem it doesn't matter to me. And I think a lot of people, when it comes on in a public space, nobody's saying, you know, this is this is 45 years old. Like, like it still really hits very well. It's kind of like, you know, I'd compare it even to the Beatles. You don't listen to the Beatles music and go, boy, oh boy, that sounds like 
almost 60 years old like we know it's from the 60s but it's the beatles like this to me i think has aged very very well musically some yeah. of the keyboard sounds maybe just the technology a little bit but not much and even the cor- the chorus girls sometimes in the background uh, sound yeah. a little like like from another era but yeah. i could see a modern artist bringing in chorus girls in Absolutely. that same way so yeah i would say like there's definitely a move towards like retro sounds today and i i guess i would say if i heard this if i heard a song off of exodus on the radio and i didn't know anything about bob marley i probably wouldn't say it was a modern song or like a 21st century song but i wouldn't be able to like pin it down and say this is a song from the 70s or this is a song from you know whatever Um, i I might push back a little bit and say that i do think reggae has changed a fair amount just in terms of like like what bob did was i mean a pretty specific like his style um but like i guess a little bit more generally like he he was very much like a roots reggae kind of guy you know and at least in recent years it's moved a lot more towards like the like the dance hall kind of side yeah, of things okay. and yeah, more yeah. like, like hip hop syncretization there yeah you know? no no and and you're right and and like i said i i wouldn't want to comment on that very much because i'm fairly ignorant in it but 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 i i agree with i like it's definitely very timeless yeah, you know? that's the word i was gonna, gonna say like it is quite timeless and it seems to like when we talked about legend i can't imagine putting legend on or or a lot of this on exodus on in a room and people not starting to physically react in a positive way like it's just it's just got a great a great feel yeah yeah and even listening as you all were hopping online tonight like it was in my headphones and i could feel myself kind of rocking to the yeah (laughs) the uh the the rhythm of it uh in a way that was not intentional i was not dancing along it was just the music was forcing my my body to do that <laughs> and that slow we didn't talk about this but the you know great intro track of natural mystic and that slow fade in like yeah. like yeah. you can barely hear it and it comes in like that i think really sets... and the beat is really good oh it's yeah. like an interesting it's almost like a like yep. suspenseful kind of oh yeah you know? and it, it yep. really draws you in like because you're almost it's funny how it's almost a reverse thing it grabs your attention because you're like really focusing like oh is there something there it's coming something's coming what is that and then it gets yeah it's not like it puts you on edge but it's like it's almost like that kind of anticipation like like sound in like a thriller movie or something you know it's fantastic album number 71 which is really cool a big jump what do you guys think about about the position here uh and it's not too far away from legend which is 48 and a lot of this album is on legend so um ben why don't we start with you what do you think about the ranking here Oh boy, I think uh, I'm in the danger zone here of getting into the weeds about compilation albums and whether they deserve to be on this list. I'm surprised given, you know, what I mentioned early in the episode about Time Magazine calling this the greatest album of the last century. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that this isn't higher. And while I know Legend has been a phenomenal success in terms of the number of records moved i would prefer to see those two switched i know that's Mm. personal preference and maybe you know i'm guilty of having listened to legend and not exodus and i'm guessing that's the case for a lot of people and so maybe when you do a poll of people that's the way that this will shake down but um now having listened through both of them i i wish this one was higher uh personally and 
Um, and I like it more as a constructed art artist constructed studio album than a producer selected um, greatest hits. So I think it needs to be higher. Um, I'm glad it has moved up. I I hope it will be moved up more once they decide to remove compilation albums from this. <laughs> I, I completely agree on both of those points. I think okay. at the very least they should have been switched. Um, mm. Just given that I think that Exodus just works together so well. Yeah. And like it really does represent that kind of turning point or like a kind of evolution in, in his music. So. Absolutely. I, I do struggle with this um, because, you know, Legend is such a... a, a astronomically successful uh, album i think as an album not a compilation this I, I agree works so well uh really sets that um signature sound of the group and uh yeah i could see it a little higher i i struggle with pulling legend down lower um because <laughs> i think it's just has been such an important album for culture in general and a lot of yeah. individuals uh so as much i think when we're we've talked about compilation albums ben and and i think if there's any exceptions i would make one for legend um because it's it's just uh, quite a unique we talked about some of its shortfalls but it's quite a unique compilation so um yeah yeah i i I do agree but uh i i still think it has its place there and just for context um, before we close out here, we always like to talk about if there's any other albums by the artists on the top 500. So we, we talked about Legend. That's number 48. It only dropped two spots. Uh, Exodus here, 71, was previously 169, so jumped up almost 100 spots. Then we have Catch a Fire from 1973 at number 140. That's an interesting one. It wasn't on the first list. It was in the coffee table book, which is quite rare. <laughs> Then it wasn't on the second list at all. And it was number 125. It wasn't like it was 499. 125 in the coffee table book, not appeared in the 2012 list, and then is back here at 140. So that's Catch a Fire. So three albums. There's a fourth album, and that's Natty Dread from 74, was 181 on the previous list from 2012, but has been dropped from this list. So it's not. So when we go back, Ben, when we finish the 500, and do all the albums that were dropped uh <laughs> we'll circle back to natty dread about we'll get one more bob marley yep 15 years from now uh yeah there'll be another rolling stone list by then too so we'll have to go at least redo one. that and, yeah <laughs> ben what have we got coming up next week i think you mentioned it earlier i mentioned it earlier uh coming up here we get a little bit more additional canadian content i feel like we're almost getting spoiled here with alanis and uh and now Neil Young, number 72, his Harvest album comes in at the, the 72 spot here on the list. Bram, we want to thank you so much for joining us again. It's been an absolute pleasure having you and your, your insight you. and your knowledge. Uh, thank, thanks again for sharing this time with us. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thanks, Bram. Means a lot. Too. Yeah. Thanks. All you at home, we want to thank you for joining us and listening uh, to the SoundLogic podcast. Until next time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those around you. And of course, we hope you'll join us again next time right here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Take care, everyone, and thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page 
on Instagram or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.